0: Uh, Yesterday was the dreaded day that we left our daughter in Nashville, Tennessee, so uh, thank you for your prayers. We concluded last week with one of the most difficult subjects in the scripture, which was the end times and the second coming of Jesus. That was the end of Luke chapter 17, and we jump today into Luke chapter 18. So it would make sense, it would be pretty obvious that Jesus is continuing to talk about the end times. And the only reason that he's talking about the end times is because the Pharisees and the disciples that are around him and following him and pursuing him are asking him questions. It's not like Jesus just said, I'm going to talk about this subject. They're literally asking him questions. And so we pick up, Uh, in Luke chapter 18 verse 1 with a couple of parables a parable being a story told that has a hidden meaning. The Pharisees were not able to see this meaning because of Matthew chapter 12 when they accused Jesus of doing miracles under the spirit of Beelzebub and it was blasphemy. So there was a curse that was put on them. But Jesus would go behind the scenes and he would tell his disciples exactly what these parables mean. Verse 1, it says, Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. It would seem it would seem that if what we talked about last week, that there's going to be a small remnant of Jews that survive throughout this stay here on earth and through the tribulation, that it would be wise for them to learn how to pray. And so Jesus is teaching them, About prayer. He says, There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Now, several times throughout the scripture, Jesus will take uh, a pretty rough situation. I think if you go back and look, he said, what father would give a son a stone or a snake when they ask for bread? If a father wouldn't even do that, why wouldn't my heavenly father do something even greater? And so here, now he takes this, unbelieving judge and says look a judge will even show mercy but how much greater will my mercy be he says then the lord said listen to what the unjust judge says will not god grant justice to his elect to cry out to him day and night he's talking about the elect being god's chosen people the jews right there He says, will he delay helping them? I will tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Again, Jesus is referring to the second coming of Christ. When he comes back, he's going to find a group of Jews that believe that he is the Messiah, and they actually call him back. And at that point, he brings them justice. And then he takes them into A second parable, he says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Who trusted in themselves. That would probably be interpreted that trusted in their own flesh. Says that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. says two men went up to the temple to pray one a pharisee and the other a tax collector the tax collector as we've said over and over as we've gone throughout the gospels is probably down here on the totem pole of people according to the jews because they stole from them they stole from them they were evil people so jesus talks about a pharisee and he talks about a tax collector in this parable says, the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This is how the Pharisees prayed, Jesus said. I fast twice a week. You know, they only had to fast once a year. And that was during the atonement time. But this Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I get. But the ca- but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Now this is before the cross. And he's saying, Lord, I i can't even like put my eyes on you but i need help (laughs) watch this real quick when he said help i need help it was his own personal faith it was his choice god i need help but at the same time he said i'm a sinner and he's like help me in other words god give me repentance where does repentance come from? It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from me. It comes from God alone. God grants us repentance. Lord, help me be repentant in, in, in repentance. What is repentance? Repentance basically is to change your mind. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? I, I can't sit here long because I got a lot more to talk about. But but it's like you you get this thoughts and you end up doing something that you don't want to do and you go man i did it again i did it again i don't want to do." lord this is your deal this this should be your response lord this is your deal i need you to help me change my mind about this one specific issue i am struggling with that's repentance and god gives you that repentance he's responsible for that so with his faith the tax collector's faith And with the repentance, he has salvation. He has salvation. It's all about his heart. And it says, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, one had salvation. And the other didn't. Lord, I need you to do this in my life. Lord, look what I did. Two totally different mindsets. Two totally different hearts. And Jesus is saying God looks at the heart. Now, here we go. In chronological order, we jump to Matthew chapter 19. And remember that Jesus is sitting around with the Pharisees and the disciples, and they're asking him questions. And now comes the subject of divorce. This is, uh, I've been praying a long time about this one. (laughs) Uh, If you came here looking for answers, uh, you're not going to find them here in the next 20 or 30 minutes about your personal situation. I'm just telling you right now we're not going to cover all the scriptures on divorce in God's word today because we don't have the time to do that. Let's say if divorce is something that you're thinking about, something you're considering, I encourage you, go to the word. Go to the word, go to the word, go to the word. Figure it out. And remember this, remember this. you, You know we teach this all the time. There's two covenants. There's the old covenant and then there's the new covenant. And when you read the word, and you study divorce, that specific topic, read it in light of that. In other words, everything that happened before the cross was according to the law, the law of sin and death. The law law is the thing that causes us to sin more. And when we sin more, we realize that we need a Savior. Jesus came along, he died on the cross, and he forgave us of all of our sins. He took them away, past, present, future, old covenant all the way back to Adam all the way to the end Jesus did it one time on the cross and so now after the cross we're under a new law and that law is the law of the spirit not under the law of Moses but under the law like there is a holy living God living inside of you and that God tells you how to live your life that God tells you instructs you how to live your life if you're considering divorce, my word to you today is to seek wise counsel. This is wise counsel. There are a few people that you might put into your camp to seek wisdom from. I'm not telling you to go find people to affirm what you want to do that's not counsel did you hear that don't go find people to affirm what you want to do you're not seeking counsel at that point you're just seeking your own personal affirmation of maybe a feeling or a desire seek wise counsel Matthew chapter 19 verse 1 when Jesus had finished saying these things he departed from Galilee and he went to the region of Judea across the Jordan large crowds followed him and he healed them there some Pharisees approached him to test him now remember what we've already talked about we said that Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry and honestly, we're only about halfway through the Gospels. The last half really is about the last week of Jesus' life. We're in that Passover week. Jesus has just gone to Bethany, which is just two miles east of Jerusalem in the temple. And there, the Sanhedrin were in charge. And the disciples said, don't go there because the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priest they want to kill you. For all that you've caused, all the damage that you've caused and all the hysteria and all the miracles that you've done, they're wanting to kill you. And the disciples said, don't go there. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. He showed them one more miracle, the miracle of Jonah. And then he made his way up to the Sea of Galilee in the north. And this is where he went through Samaria and he came across the ten lepers. The one came back rejoiced. And now he's making his way back down towards Jerusalem. And he's got disciples from Galilee that are following him. But he goes on the east side of the Jordan River when he comes back. And it's an area called Perea. And guess who has jurisdiction of this area? Herod Antipas. Now that probably doesn't mean anything to you. But if you go back... If you go back to our studies, there was one man who spoke against Herod Antipas because you see, Herod Antipas had married his brother's wife. And somebody called him out on that. Who was that? John the Baptist. Jesus' best friend. John the Baptist called Herod Antipas out, and how did that go for him? He lost his head because Herod Antipas didn't want him calling him out for something that he did wrong. So now if Jesus has come across the east side of the, the, the Jordan River and that that's under the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas, why wouldn't the Pharisees try to nail him on the whole divorce subject? Because then they don't have to kill him. Herod Antipas would because he's already proven that they don't even go there. So now they're sitting there asking Jesus a question about divorce, hoping that he would say something that would cause Herod to be mad enough to come and kill Jesus, and they wouldn't even have to do it. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Now, they knew the answer to this question. But here's the issue. They go back to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's part of the Torah. It's the fifth book of the Bible. It's got law in it. And they go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, and it says this. If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. Now, I, this is not my chair. It was here, and everybody said I should be sitting in this. But uh, my faithful uh, Mishnah readers not here today Brent's in Vegas during Super Bowl weekend. Hey, Brent, hope you're listening. Uh, so I need a missionary. Brandon, get up here. Come come sit in this crown royal chair here. This is the Mishnah. Uh, Brandon's my friend, even though he's wearing that. Sit right here, because you're, we're going to get a holy reading from the Mishnah. It's not really holy. Now, I don't know if you know what this is. But this book right here, this is an expensive book. Here, here's the beauty of Jeannie knows this. That she goes, what, "What's that stain on there?" Well, I carried this in the, the Lord's supper box, and some the juice got on it. So it's kind of it's, it's kind of awesome. I think <laughs> if the juice represents the blood of Jesus, that so. Uh, but this book. God gave them the the law, and it's all throughout the Torah, the Exodus, the Ten Commandments, all that stuff, and they were supposed to live by the law, yet they kept failing and failing and failing, so they said, you know what? We need more laws. So the Pharisees wrote more laws, and these are the more laws, and these laws almost became more important than God's law. Jesus didn't care about these laws because these were man-written laws. He cared about God's law. But now they've got deuteronomy 24 1 where it says hey we can divorce our wife because she's indecent well what does that mean i i could ask every one of you in this room what does that mean and you all come up with different interpretations so now they're going to define it right here in the mishnah and brandon if you don't mind if you just read this one little paragraph i'll get you a microphone That one right there, can you read that? Do you need glasses or anything? You need me to hold it out here? There's no light, man. Jesus is the light. Can you read it?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think I can. You think you can? Well, okay. Maybe. I do need some light, though.
0: All right. You need glasses? Here, give me those glasses. This would be good. Red glasses. Red glasses. Red glasses. See if those work. I have contacts in, so.
1: Oh, that's a. Thank you so much for that. Do I look amazing in these? All right. Here we go. The school of Shammai. Shemai. Shemai Say, a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her. For it is written, because he hath found her indecency in anything.
0: Stop. So you just read out of the Mishnah that the school of Shammai, and we talked about this just a few weeks ago, there's two different schools of interpretation of the law. One is the Shammai, and he's getting ready to tell you what the second one is. But the school of Shammai has just said in the Mishnah that indecency describes anybody that is what? It's unchastity. That anybody that is, that is commits adultery that's what it says. Anybody that commits adultery is indecent. Now read the next line.
1: And the school of Halil say, He may divorce her, even if she spoiled a dish for him, for it is written, Because he hath found her indecency in anything. Even if he found another farrier than she, for it is written, And it shall be if she find no favor in his eyes.
0: That's it. Thank you, Mishnah reader. You did good. Otherwise
1: known as Brett Favre.
0: I'll pray for you. Now, he just read the second one. The school of Hillel says that indecency, indecency is based upon if she spoils a dish. If she burns the biscuits, you can divorce her. Or if you go to the shopping mall and you see somebody fairer than her, hey, you look better. I'm going home and giving my wife a divorce certificate and I'm marrying you. (laughs) The Hillel. Basically, you can divorce for whatever reason that you want. There's two different interpretations. It's crazy. It's crazy, right? The disciples, the the, the guys hanging out with Jesus, guess what school they were from? They were brought up and trained under. Hillel. I'll show you in a second. Wait and see. So now... You've got two different interpretations of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. One says you can only get a divorce if you've committed adultery. The other one says, whatever, don't like her, come up with a reason. Verse 4, red letters. Jesus says, he replied, haven't you read? Like, you you guys went straight to Deuteronomy 24. He says, haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Instead of going to Deuteronomy, Jesus goes all the way back to Genesis. And he quotes the passage from Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What God did was that he established the first marriage. And it teaches us positively that he designed it to be i'm going to say this man and woman he designed it to be man and woman for one main reason although there are many for it to be man and women but was for the reason of procreation that light now you can take a, a man and a man and good luck with that you can take a woman and a woman good luck with that you, you're not going to procreate. But the institution of marriage was literally designed for procreation. As it says, not according to my opinion, but what it says according to the word of God. Take it for what it's worth. That's a side note. If we build a marriage after God's ideal pattern, watch this. If we build a marriage after God's ideal pattern, we won't have to worry about divorce laws, is what Jesus is saying. I know you're focused on Deuteronomy 24, 1, but let's take it back and let's see what God says about marriage. First of all, it's between a man and a woman, it's not between man and his job, it's not between woman and her children. It's between man and woman alone. Now look, how many years have I been married? Did you say that with a question mark? Almost 32. That's good. She, 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 she Yeah. Dan, you're on my team. You're a dude. You're on my team. Don't make me ask you how long you've been married. Nice job. Congratulations. I chose to journey this earth with that lady back there the rest of my living days. I, yes, it was a great choice. I chose her. I chose her. I chose to walk this journey the rest of my life. We reproduced children so they could do the same thing. 24 years and 25 days ago, we've prepared our marriage for the last 24 years and 25 days for today to be the first day that we're alone together. the rest of our lives and our kids have moved out and they're going to go do the same thing they're going to have their own spouses their own families yes we're still a family but look we have michelle and i have prepared 24 years and 25 days for this very day that we are going to be alone and be one flesh I've dated my wife. I've taken care of my wife. I've told my kids she's the most important thing in my home. Not you. Not you. My wife. I love you dearly, Corey. I love you dearly, Chloe. But my wife is the most important thing to me because you guys are going away. And you're going to do your own thing. And you're going to create that same love and that same choice. And life is going to go on and on and on and on and on. And this is the way God designed it is for us to journey together. Verse 7, it says, why then, they asked, did Moses command us command us to give divorce papers and send her away? And he told them, wait a second, wait a second. Moses permitted. You use the word commanded. I'm telling you this, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because why? Because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. It's not the way God designed it to be. What you guys are talking about, this whole divorce thing and about the laws and should it be under adultery, should it be because she burned the biscuits, it wasn't created to be that way. You shouldn't have to talk about these laws. I tell you, whoever divorces... Oh, here it comes. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, he just says, I identify with the Shammai. This is who I identify with. Now, watch this. Here's a cool thing. I take you back to Jeremiah, which is Old Testament. A prophet, chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. In the days of King Josiah, the Lord asked me, Have you seen what unfaithful Israel has done? She has ascended every high hill and gone under every green tree to prostitute herself there. Look, God is saying the Jews, the Israelites, is a female. He's referring to them as a wife. In other words, when they were taken out of captivity and God married them, he literally married the Israelites. They were his wife. And he says, I thought after she has done all these things, she will return to me. But she didn't return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Those Gentiles were watching the Jews and how they went in and out of love and in and out of love, and they basically they loved other gods, and they worshipped Baal, and they were like prostitutes. He says, I observed it. It was because unfaithful Israel had committed adultery that I had sent her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Nevertheless, her treacherous sister Judah was not afraid, but also went and prostituted her. Even the Gentiles did it. Indifferent to her prostitution, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah didn't return to me with all her heart, only in pretense. This is the Lord's declaration. Now, I just read that from Jeremiah. And remember, he has just had a discussion about the second coming. What, What did Jesus just say about the second coming? there's going to be a remnant of Jews that calls me back and believes that I'm the Messiah. And in the end, they're forgiven. Wait, God's married to the Jews, and they do this. They're doing it right now. Prostitution to God, our Father. And in the end, He's there waiting for her beautiful picture wait malachi chapter two i'm going to cut out everything i've got here and i'm going to go straight to verse 16 todd because i'm running out of time verse 16 it's basically the same thing he's talking about the israelites and the jews and what they've done he says for i hate divorce i hate did you hear this right here focus on me God says, for I hate divorce. I hate it. I've never really found in the scripture where he called it sin. He just says he hates it. Why why does God hate divorce? Somebody tell me, why why do you think God hates divorce? Yeah. Yeah. you think it's what you think it's an an accurate picture of his relationship with us yeah anybody else yeah what do you say Katie That just resonated throughout this room. He said he hates divorce because of the pain that it creates and it resounds throughout the family and friends. I got I got divorce all in my family. I get it. I get it. It is painful. And and it it's generational. It goes on. Why do you think Christmas is such a mess? (laughs) You know? It's not meant to be that way. It wasn't designed to be that way. Think about it. The act of divorce, listen to me, the act of divorce is not a legal document. For some reason, we've driven it down to, uh, okay, I'm signing this document, and now I am officially divorced. God doesn't hate you signing a document that he didn't create. It's not what he hates. The act of divorce is everything that leads up to that separation of one flesh. God said, I've designed it to be one flesh, and everything that leads up to that being not one flesh, that is divorce. Think about this for a second, real quick. You're born and you're dependent upon somebody to wipe your hiney and feed you, take care of you. And then you get old enough where you start establishing your independence and you're driving and you're doing all these fun things and then you finally are like thrown out of the nest and you're, I'm independent. Look at me, I'm doing all this for me. And then all of a sudden there comes this person in your life and you start this dating and courting and you begin to transfer... Watch. You begin that first date. You begin transferring doing things for you, but you do it for them because you're trying to attract them and you're expressing your love for them and you care about them. And that whole courting dating thing is... You transferring, doing everything for yourself and doing it for somebody else. That's what that is. And then that night that you get married, there's this act of intimacy that God has given us as a gift where you physically come together as one flesh and you culminate this relationship and say, for life, for life. There's this sexual intim- intimacy that occurs it's a great wedding gift and then all of a sudden that what Keith was talking about that voice that just like pops in your head and you start hearing these things it's like hey I can do this for myself It's the whole act of divorce that begins to creep in. It begins when you start acting as a separated flesh. In other words, you go back to doing things that gratifies yourself rather than your spouse. when it becomes more about you than it does about your spouse. As for sexual intimacy, it's a huge part of it. Some of you just stop because you don't want to. You don't take into account your spouse's needs. Others will go back to self-gratification through... Porn. Uh, guys like pictures. They respond to pictures. Girls, you like words. You'll go back to the romance novels and you'll you'll fantasize about what a relationship should look like and it puts it on a level that your man is not gonna meet. It's the same thing. We just created different. Some uh, might even find self-gratification in another person. The self-gratification of intimacy is just one aspect of divorce. Lack of communication is a separation of the flesh. There's the issue of money and possessions that come into play. There's in-laws and family that interfere with you being one flesh. We could go on and on and on with the list of things that cause you to be separated as one flesh, but it all leads down the same road, and that's a selfish road of doing everything for yourself. Verse 10, he says, his disciples said to him, If the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. (laughs) Like You're saying that the only reason we can get a divorce is because of adultery? I ain't getting married. (laughs) That tells you right there that they were under the school of Hillel, right? They like the idea of just being able to marry and get divorced. He responded, Not everyone can accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. This is interesting. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, there's dudes that have made themselves sterile, have castrated themselves. There's some that have been born that way. And really all he is talking about is the act of celibacy. That might be good for you, but it's probably not for most people. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. But Jesus is like saying, that's if that's what you're called to is celibacy. Disciples, do it. But that's not everybody. Everybody. And then, I, I, real quick, I just jumped to Mark chapter 10. It's the same discussion. It just ends a little bit differently in verse 10. It says, when they were in the house again, he's not, he's not around the Pharisees or anything. He's just with his disciples. The disciples questioned him about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, that doesn't really stand out to you, but the Jewish law always said the man can only divorce the wife. The wife can never divorce the husband. And in today's Jewish practices, that's still pretty much the same. The wife cannot divorce. Only the husband can. But look what Jesus just said there. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another she commits adultery with that statement Jesus just changed the Jewish laws by saying the wife could divorce the husband it changed on that one statement and then I close with this I emailed you yesterday and I said be here today and hang out because this is a safe place to be we can talk about this you can come here not feel condemned not feel shame and guilt shame and guilt comes from the evil one and it's all based upon romans chapter one romans chapter eight verses one and two it says therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus in this room those that believe that jesus is the son of god and that he died and that he's he's your savior and he forgave you of all your sins all your sins past, present, and future. You, you you put this divorce thing up there because it's the most painful thing that you can experience. You put that high on the list, but Jesus is like, I, I took care of all this, I took care of all this. And if you're sitting there like going, well, I can go get a divorce, Jesus took care of it. Well, you, you know, you just cheap in grace. There, there's nobody that gets married And wants to get divorced. That's crazy. There's nobody that wants divorce. It's painful. It hurts. My God says there's no condemnation. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. I'll tell you this. One more time. You have two choices. You have two choices. Everybody, you have two choices. Always have two choices. Today, when you go through the lunch line, you have two choices. Two choices. Tonight, when you watch the Super Bowl, you have two choices. You can either walk by the flesh, which is your own personal selfishness. Or you can walk by the spirit. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. When it comes to you making a decision about divorce, your marriage, I pray that you're walking by the spirit. Sometimes you have walked by your flesh and it's caused you to be where you are today. God, my God, is big enough to turn that around and he can disciple you and Look, there's people all around here that want to talk to you about what it looks like to walk by your spirit. I wish I could give you a pill to take that just says we all walk by the spirit and everything's good. The world would want that pill. You have two choices. Walk by your flesh selfishly. Or walk by the spirit of Jesus Christ who lives in you and reigns in you and wants the best for you. Father, I pray uh, I pray for my friends that are sitting out here because there's so many different situations that I'm sitting out here and I can just look over and pray over and uh, you're in control of this. I pray that uh, the choices that each of us make, each of us make will be according to your will which is to walk by your spirit. Your will for us is to walk by your spirit. May you rise up. May you rise up in us and do that. May you do it, Lord. I pray that you do it in each and every heart here in this room. And so, Lord, um, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.